0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black Matt Norlander is here with me. We both left Minneapolis on Tuesday morning, traveled home. So I'm home now. Norlander is home now. We decided to spend a few minutes looking back on what turned out to be an awesome national championship game. Final score was Virginia 85, Texas Tech 77 in overtime. Game got off to a slow start but it got great in the second half. Big shots, controversial calls, controversial replays, an offensive explosion that created a super fun game. I obviously have thoughts on what it means for Tony Bennett, for Virginia, for college basketball in general, but I watched it on TV from a television set. Norlander, you were in the building, so let's start with you. Your thoughts on Virginia winning a national title for the first time in school history. Your thoughts on Virginia becoming the first number 1 seed to lose to a number 16 seed in 2018. And then becoming a first-time national champion in 2019. I have many thoughts.
1: The first of which obviously has to be that I picked this to happen. So I mean, you did. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell you. I pull up the bracket page, the expert picks on cbsports.com or your CBS Sports app. I actually did have. I will tell you what, we we we're on the same page with this. When we make our picks on Selection Sunday, like we make them, we have to turn around really fast. Uh, some years I'm fine. Some years I'm terrible. But I, I, I never think about the fact that there are people that use those brackets to make their pools. I had, I, I don't even know how many people hit me up and say, thanks, I used your picks and won my office pool. I'm like, I'm glad it happened for you, but don't listen to me next year because that's just blind luck there. Um, Virginia's the best team in college basketball. It wins the national championship. That doesn't happen every year, of course, but it happens frequently. And that was the case um, this season. Weirdly, though. Um, While Virginia was the best team in college basketball, Texas Tech was the best team in the NCAA tournament. I would say that's still the case even in light of its loss against Virginia when you looked at the six games Texas Tech played and the six games that Virginia played. But this was a great game. I think a couple of columns that were written, and I won't, uh, I won't subtweet in vocal form. Particularly Dan Wolkin, who you have as a frequent guest on your radio show, and Pete Thamel, who I believe is your mortal enemy. Um, they wrote Thamel's my enemy. They wrote some. Uh, they wrote some columns leading up to that game that got a lot of run. That basically were trashing the, the game trashing the fact that it was uh, Texas Tech versus Virginia, that you didn't have big star players, that, you know, one and Duns weren't involved and all that stuff, whatever. Like, the the, the Thamble tweets and teasing... Thamel's a great writer, great reporter, a friend and all that, but he used uh, the tease. It was generationally unsexy. And so I saw I saw the phrase generationally unsexy pop into my timeline relatively frequently as the second half uh, wore on in what was just an incredible championship game. A championship game that I would rank top 10 all time, for sure, Um Maybe not quite top 5 but really really good. I mean, the fact that we got to OT only the 8th one ever and the first since Dozier for the championship, by the way. Did you realize for the that?
0: Championship?
1: No! That's We're right. headed to overtime. That's right. First since oh wait, Kansas and Memphis. Um uh, the game itself first of all, highest scoring title game in 19 years. So, the defense has actually played relatively well and yet you have the highest scoring title game since 2000. You have the first ever title game. This actually surprised me. First title game in history where both teams made at least 10 three-pointers. Virginia, flawless from the line down the stretch. DeAndre Hunter starts out slow again, somehow winds up with a game-high, career-high 27 points And then it was—I actually voted Hunter for most outstanding player, but Kyle Guy got the mop. Uh, It was close. I thought that between those two, and then Ty Jerome, who had a huge, a couple of huge buckets. I thought collectively it was probably their best game of the season, and I think that's no coincidence that those three played that well, and it leads to a to a Virginia win. I know there's a few things that we need to get into specifically in terms of uh, you know plays late and et cetera, et cetera, but. Um, I guess I'll leave it there, and I'll get to some of the stuff after the game uh, in a minute here. But, um, yeah, just awesome stuff. Great environment. Uh, Texas Tech had more fans in the building, but the Virginia came strong. There's no doubt about it. Dick Bennett, Tony's father, was in the building, and that was, uh, that was really good. So, uh, GP, I mean, it's just... College basketball is developing a, a fun habit of having really good national championship games on both sides, men's and women's. But on, on men's side in particular, I want to say like six of the past eight have been good to great to downright epic. And uh, this I think this falls short of epic, like Jenkins winning at the buzzer in 2016. That's that's a classic. But uh, but I, I, you know, I, I can't ask for more than what we got. And I think it's fair to say that the game exceeded Everyone's expectations, even people like me who expect, and you that thought it was going to be a good and entertaining game, we didn't think it was possibly going to be on that level.
0: First things first, let the record show: Pete Thamel was not my enemy. Pete Thamel was actually my friend. Trivia time: Do you know that when I got hired CBS in two thousand six, there were four of us that interviewed for the job? I won't name the other two because the other two obviously weren't involved at the end but um i was one of the people and pete thamel was another and if i remember correctly i think the job was offered to pete first um he was at the new york times and he if i again remember correctly he decided to stay at the new york times at which point they offered me the job so if not for pete thamel turning down the job we might not even be talking right now (laughs) we might not i might be doing a podcast with thamel You might be doing a podcast with Pete the Hamill right now.
1: By the way, my apologies to Pete. He organizes the media pickup game every year at the Final Four. It is a great time. CBS Sports HQ duties kept me away. I hope that I the schedule will allow for me to make my grand return in
0: Atlanta in 2020, but continue. Um, so, yeah, I thought it would be a close game. I thought it could be an interesting game. I did not think it would get into the 80s. I you can go back and listen to the last podcast I didn't think anybody get to the 60s and I think you were on that same page with me and yep. boy with the way the game started we were we were looking smart for at least 10 minutes and basically 20 um, because every everything that critics of the matchup thought it might be in terms of an offensive disaster first 10 minutes of the game it it was exactly that. Like how long was it before Texas Tech even got a field goal? 8 minutes?
1: Yeah, it was a long time and they didn't even get a 2 point field goal parish till what like 9 minutes left in the first half. It was all uh threes and foul shots for a while there for them. And then um and then obviously
0: after halftime it got going and I really did I thought the second half was just awesome. And it was big shot after big shot on both end. DeAndre Hunter more than anybody else, so he gets twenty two points in the second half. Finishes with twenty seven. And you mentioned Dan Walken from USA Today earlier. You know his column post game was you know the, 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 the broke it down in a pretty simple way. Like, you know, we can talk about replay. We can talk about miscalls. calls. We can talk about Cal Guy getting tripped by one of his teammates and Texas Tech getting called for a foul. But ultimately, it might have just come down to this. Um, these are two comparable teams. Both of them have a lottery pick, and Virginia's lottery pick was awesome, and Texas Tech's lottery pick was not. Jarrett Culver, whereas DeAndre Hunter gets 27 points, um 22 in the second half jared culver goes five of 22 from the field 0 of six from three-point range and um hunter gave it to him at one end and then shut him down at the other and if 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 that's the reason you wanted to vote deandre hunter the most outstanding player of the final four it's certainly fine with me i think you could make a case for 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 cow guy but um but but Hunter was terrific in the championship game, the star of the championship game. And if you were an NBA general manager trying to figure out whether you're going to draft uh, Jarrett Culver or DeAndre Hunter, if you're picking fourth or fifth or sixth or wherever, um, I don't guess you base it on one game, but if you did base it on one game, you're taking DeAndre Hunter every time.
1: You are. Uh, Fran Fraschilla called this, by the way. I happened to see him walking to my seat just shortly before the game started and I just asked real quick, Hunter versus Culver, you know, in this game and also draft-wise, like, who do you prefer? He said Hunter uh, in both regards. And he didn't, he wasn't, you know, like he thinks that it's relatively close, but uh, thought Hunter was was better set up to succeed in this game and expects him to be taken before Culver in the draft. And uh, Fran looked right in the wake of that. Hunter just pick the best time to have his best game. And he you know, he started slow and the rest of the team picked up around him, which is what kind of been Virginia's MO uh the entire season. Like they, they just have never really lagged. Even even when they played uh Duke earlier in the season and I you know, when I said the best team is going to win the national championship on Twitter, there was you know, people just like, uh, no, Duke actually lost. No, Duke was not the best team. Duke didn't even rate as the second best team in most metrics, and not even the third at Ken Palm. It was fourth. So if your opinion is that Duke was the best team in college basketball this season, well, that opinion's wrong. I don't know what to tell you. Virginia uh, barely lost on the road against Duke, and then it happened to run up against Duke in what was the strongest game the Blue Devils played the entire season. And the only other loss was against Florida State, uh, which might have been their worst performance of the season in the ACC tournament there. But just three losses. Uh, Virginia, by the way, from an efficiency margin standpoint, is the third best team in the Ken Palm era. Uh, they, they comfortably finished as the best team in college basketball. I thought that was, uh, that was fitting. And also just... Uh, with Hunter not playing well to start, and and guy coming up with some big shots, Ty Jerome, uh, reliable as as ever there, and then he kind of took a backseat to those other two guys down the stretch. Um, I just love that we got a a great title game, a great final four, a great Elite Eight, a really good Sweet Sixteen. Just a fantastic finish here on the back end for the tournament after the week one, after the first weekend, uh, wound up being a lot, a lot of shock and and not a lot of drama there, but. Um, Tony Bennett and, the, and the, getting this kind of win, uh, I, you know, within the industry, already regarded as a top 10 coach. If you need a title to, like, make it official, I guess, then fine. Now it is. Um, he, uh, <laughs> I mean, he handled the loss last year to UMBC uh, better than I think any coach could have possibly handled it. And this is the redemption arc. This is an incredible story. Um, We've actually had an interesting pattern develop because have also seen some stuff about, like, yeah, but you know what? Like, North Carolina lost at the buzzer to Villanova and came back the next year and won the title. Like, that's just as good. I would disagree. It's an awesome story, but Virginia is not the program that North Carolina is. And North Carolina had won many previous national championships, and Virginia took a loss that was way worse, you can argue, the level of heartbreak, I guess. But college basketball has actually seen... Uh, uh, two redemption stories sandwiched by Villanova national championships. So uh, perhaps Nova wins again uh, next year, and then two years from now we'll get another really cool story to to blossom out of that. But uh, I'm totally fine with that. If we want to get these awesome uh, kind of arcs building with ACC programs or otherwise, uh, that's fine by me. And and on the note of ACC programs here, GP, this is the first non-Duke, non- Carolina. ACC champion since Maryland in '02, And if you don't want to include that, because I mean, AC, you should include it because Maryland was an ACC program when it won the title. But if you want to eliminate that and say Maryland's now, since it's in the Big Ten, it doesn't qualify, then we got to be looking at NC State in 83, I believe.
0: Well, if you include current ACC schools, you get Louisville, you get Syracuse. Right, so if you
1: want to make it go both ways, but if you, yeah,
0: yeah, fair, yeah, yeah. Um, the, 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 there's two ways to look at this. I, I think from a big picture perspective, one is wow, you know, you, 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 and it'd be one thing like if you lost to a 16 and then that team all entered the draft the way teams that are overall number one seeds sometimes do, and you come back the next year with a uh, mostly different guys and do it, it would still be unbelievable, but. You wouldn't have, you know, the opportunity to contrast Ty Jerome then against Ty Jerome now, Cow guy then against cow guy now. To me, that's what's—I uh, don't know about most interesting, but very interesting about this—is that uh, they were embarrassed um, and and heartbroken. Uh, I don't want to get hyperbolic, but you know, we we had Ty Jerome's parents on set with us yesterday, Monday afternoon, before the game. And, you know, they they explain that, you know, the way the season ended last year, they stayed up with Ty till, you know, two in the morning, you know, consoling, holding their crying adult son because he couldn't believe that just happened, that he was a part of that. And, you know, for him to go from that night, that's the way your season ended last season. This is the way your season ended this season. Like we've talked about many times, that's a... That's a a great documentary. It's a great movie. I'll be shocked if somebody doesn't make it into a documentary and or a movie. So just a tremendous story. Um, And then the other way to look at it is Virginia was down on the scoreboard in the final (laughs) 15 seconds of three consecutive games. Again, yes, yes, yes. Was it 10? It's 10? No, I'm saying again, yes, you're right. It's just a but In the Elite Eight Final Four National Championship game, they're down on the scoreboard three consecutive games with 15 seconds to go. And really, if you count the Elite Eight, and as we talked about on the last podcast, I believe, the Elite Eight game and the Final Four game, they were literally down in the final second. Yeah. Like, if you if you pause the game when the clock was at 0.9 and said, okay, now what's the score? They were losing inside the final second uh, against Purdue and against Auburn. Because I think yeah. how Guy's free throws come with .6 and Di, uh, Mamadi shot is like, it's, a bu- it's at the buzzer. Right. So they were down. I mean, think about that for a second. You're you you're behind on the scoreboard with less than a second to play. Paris is literally all I've been thinking about for like 24 hours. It's insane. So you win the Purdue game, then you win the Auburn game, and then, yeah, you, you're, you're not down in the final second, but you're down in the final 15, and you need DeAndre Hunter or anybody to, to make a three-pointer against the best defensive team in the country you got to score against the best defensive team in the country that nobody's been able to score on in this event like that's what you're up against hey 15 seconds left you're down three and if you want to extend this game you better score right now against the best defensive team in the country good luck and they did it and that possession will just haunt Chris Beard forever because I'm, I don't know if you were in the post game last night, but we carried it live on CBS Sports Network, and somebody asked him about fouling up three. And I think that's obvious to any basketball person. It's too early to foul up three. Yeah, like I, I think I think the consensus among coaches is that right around seven seconds, six seconds, that's when you foul up three. If you are committed to fouling up three, but anything bigger than that, you just you're dra- you're dragging out a game, you're extending a game, and it, it's not it might not work in your favor. It might not, it's not the smart thing to do at 12 seconds, but it is the smart thing to do at six seconds. So it was just too early to foul up three. So if you're somebody screaming, why didn't they foul up three? The, the answer is simple: it's too early to do that. But what Chris somebody called him screaming on the possession to yes. his players was no threes, Correct. no three. Yes and it's almost like hey let them drive if they want to drive to the basket let them do it but do not leave a shooter to help on a driver and they just lose DeAndre Hunter in the corner and he knocks it down and then of course they've got a chance to go win the game and it just that didn't go well so they end up in overtime and then what happened happened but the idea that virginia could be trailing in the final second of two of two games And in the final 15 seconds of the championship game and escape each of those, I don't know whether you call it resiliency or composure, Um, whatever it was, it was awesome. And I I don't want to call it lucky because they had to make the plays each time, but they were fortunate. Honestly, they went from fortunate to be even be in the final four to fortunate to even be in the championship game, to fortunate to even win the national championship, but who cares? That banner will still look just like anybody else's championship banner. All
1: right, let's read. Let's just touch on a few quick things here as the game played out. Because as this is happening, by the way, I'm trying to f- get 350 words that I can send at the buzzer to live on the site. So, all right, first question. I'll get to a few plays, but first question for you is this, GP. I'll set up my thoughts. So as as regulation is playing out before we get to overtime as regulation is playing out uh Virginia uh, Virginia for the second consecutive game blew a 10 point lead and it blew two ten point leads in this game um I never thought because I was actually thinking about the previous two wins they had and there was still plenty of time in 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 Virginia's world they had them right what they wanted them um did you, were you, like, I, I never put Texas Tech at, like, above, say, 75% they were winning the game. I thought they were likely to win the game, say, five seconds before Hunter took the three, but I still thought this thing can still get crazy here. Um, had you reached a different conclusion at any point in the, at that, that moment or the, or the minute before that, you know what, like, barring something ridiculous again, we're going to watch Texas Tech win a national championship?
0: I'll tell you where I thought, oh, wow. Texas Tech really is going to win this game. It was when they finally took the lead. Like, when they go up, I guess it was 66-65 on a culver bucket with 35 seconds
1: Amazing left. bucket, by the way. So, that was going to be one of the things I mentioned. Continue. But that that bucket, that spin move was awesome, and it lit the place on fire when he
0: did that. So, when they go up, I mean, it's just like they're, they're climbing, climbing, and they've been climbing the whole second half. And they're climbing, and then it's boom. Yo, they're ahead, 35 seconds to play. And then, of course, they get a stop. Um, there's a foul. There's two made free throws. So now they're up three, 20 seconds to play. And that's when I did think they're going to win this game. I thought they were going to win the game right then. And then, of course, DeAndre Hunter hits a three with 12 seconds to go. And then I thought we might be headed to overtime. I didn't rule out, like, a Matt Mooney three or something like that. But, yes, I, I – I, with 35 seconds to play, really from 35 seconds to, to 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 13 seconds, I spent that amount of time in real time going. Texas Tech is really about to be the national champion. <laughs> so Odiasi hits both his foul shots. He's
1: a 66% shooter or, or from the from the line or something like 63% shooter. When he hit those, I thought, okay, this is <laughs> this is wild. But I still thought that Jerome or guy were going to get a good look and the – I I I don't know. I still believe something was going to happen. Now, the Ty Jerome pass to find Hunter not like you know the most incredible pass ever, just extreme headiness. Okay, let's let's get to the biggest plays for Virginia in the tournament. You've got the you've got you've got the Clark pass. Okay? That's it for me. That's I that's the biggest decision. I that's got to be one. Now the Diakite shot itself can't be that far behind because it is. Where you are, when you are, get, get the ball, turn around, get it off in time, and, and it, you could easily see a play like that. I can I can see it falling way short of the rim because you're trying – it's a rush. It's a scramble. So I think, like, Diakite, he's gotten a, a bit of love for making the bucket, but I actually think the degree of difficulty on that was higher than people recognize. So I will go that for two. I'll say the Hunter 3 is third because that was a big-time shot. Ties the game – on a a most critical possession, I'd say the guy free throws are
0: four. What about the guy three-pointer to set up the free throw?
1: I know. I'm putting it right behind, and I mean really close. The guy three-pointer on the previous possession, which was action run on the opposite corner there, I'd put that five. I'd put Jerome's pass to Hunter six because he gets into the thing about the play is he gets into the lane and, and tech, which prided itself on collapsing into the paint. He squeezed through and, you know, you figure maybe he's, he's got such, he's got such great. He's got dapper touch. We saw it all in that national title game. And I think a lot of players would have tried to get the two there, which wouldn't have been the terrible decision, but he trusts Hunter who was just feeling it. And then he hits the three, but you've got six significant plays, there was nothing really. I think in the I mean, the Oregon game was ugly. There were a few things that Oregon did that I thought were big, but it was not on the UVA side. A Virginia fan can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. And then like the first uh, the first two games was more like runs, and they were down early to Gardner Webb and all that. But the point I'm making here is Virginia has play after play after play, and if if. If you're looking for us to make a lot about the the call reversal, that's going to have to be all GP for two reasons. One, I obviously had no vantage point. Two, I'm also trying to file on deadline and like preparing for okay, Texas Tech's going to win this thing. Like I got to rewrite. So um, I, I don't know if that if you know if that's nearly to the level of the previous game. You obviously were watching through the beauty of television. and Can speak more to how uh, that played out and the expectations when they reversed the call. So
0: floor is yours. Yeah, well, on on the reversal of the call, the refs got it right. Like, if you you hate what they did, then you hate the rule. You hate replay. But you can't hate the refs. The refs did as they were instructed to do. Um, The ball just ever so slightly went off of his fingertips. It just did. And it's not something any official could see in real time without the benefit of replay. Any other any other situation that doesn't have replay, that ball remains Texas Tech's ball. It just does. But because of replay and HD and super slow-mo, you can see the ball go off of the fingertips. So it's got to be Virginia ball. What it reminded me of if, is if you're a baseball fan, you know that they now have replay on double plays. And 10 years ago, you didn't have to touch the bag if you were a shortstop. You on a 4 six, 3 double play. Balls hit to your second baseman, boom, you slide past the bag, make the throw to first, it's a double play. Well, I don't know if he really touched the bag. Nobody cares. If you were in the neighborhood, it's a double play. Well, now, because they have implemented replay, if you are a a centimeter off of the bag, that runner's going to be safe. The other place that happens all the time, somebody's still second, somebody's still third, they hit the bag, and then their foot pops up and the third baseman's glove stays on him, or the, or the shortstop's glove stays on him. And when their their foot pops up, again, a centimeter off the bag, if that glove's on him, they're out. That's not the way baseball's ever been played. If you beat them to the bag, it doesn't matter if your foot comes off the bag by a, a, a half inch. You're safe. But now, if, if it's challenged, and the super slow-mo HD replay says, but look right there. Foot's just slightly off the bag, gloves on the leg, he's out. That's like if you like, baseball fans. I don't know if all of them, but lots of them are frustrated by that. Come on, he's safe. His foot barely came off the bag. You hate replay, then, and if you want to change it, like petition it. But the referee, the umpires, when they make that call, they, they're getting it right. And last night, Monday night, when the officials reversed that, when the, when they when they said the balls off Texas, Tech, they got it right based on what was at, what the video actually showed. If you want to be frustrated as a Texas Tech fan, it's the foul on Cow Guy that's a killer. Because what that replay shows, have you seen this yet? Uh no, I don't believe I did actually. Okay, so I think the situation is we're in overtime Texas Tech is up two.
1: And it's like and the would be foul, GP? Do I have this right?
0: It's uh it's Cow Guy getting fouled like near the baseline.
1: Oh is this and- the is this the
0: trip discrepancy? Yeah, like they they um, they call the foul on Texas Tech, and both Texas Tech players in the vicinity are like, "What?" They throw their arms up, like w- we didn't touch him. And when you see the replay, super slow month, they didn't touch him. Hmm. He cow guy tripped over his teammate. I think it was Mamadi D Mama Diakite, D- D- K- T- but it, it's like there's two Texas Tech players there, neither touched cow guy. He fell. It should have been a turnover, and so then Texas Tech's up two with the ball. Instead, it's a foul on Texas Tech, and I don't know if it determined the game, changed momentum, but it was, it was a bad call. It was horrific. So if you're a Texas Tech fan, don't be mad at the referees over the replay because the referees did as they were instructed to do. But if you want to be pissed because they screwed that moment up, yeah, I get you because they they screwed that moment up.
1: Um, I, Yeah, I, uh, for sure, for sure. Uh, a few more notes. I know we want to move this podcast along, but I want to hit on a few more things here. Um, first of all, this is the first champion – this is surprising to me. First champion since '90 that didn't beat a one or a two seed to win the title. Um, but whatever, Virginia was awesome this season, and they and they earned every little bit of it. But they just the 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 road broke their way. Twelve of twelve from the line in overtime for Virginia, which I thought was actually fitting because the final margin wasn't representative of how good the game was. But Virginia so often it will squeeze and it will suffocate its opponents out. Now it got some luck along the way and it didn't need any last second heroics in OT. Um but the free throw shooting in overtime was was big in addition to what you just uh what you just mentioned there which I thought was uh, was was pretty notable overall. Um Texas Tech uh Chris Beard incredible season. I expect him to be back in the final 4 as to win, I don't know. We'll see. Um they just came dangerously close. Uh, it's 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 amazing to me that they got that close. That he that we talked about Texas Tech in a title game, and that they really really came. Just they were. I just I can't say enough about how good of a coach he is, and how how how, how by the way how how good that team was, and like on and off the floor, like lot lot of fun. And and Tariq Owens stepping up the way he did, high ankle sprain, just totally gutty performance. That was fantastic. Um, just an awesome title game, really. Um, I uh, I made one shining moment. Now the shove didn't make one shining moment, but I made one shining moment. Wanted to mention that. And um, uh, by the way, Virginia fans, shouts to you. So uh, we love you because one, you're watching CBS Sports HQ. GP, I, I had like it's it's interesting the the mindset of the Virginia fan because not just with the UMBC stuff, but I I think that they they they've gone through. Um, I think a lot of little brother stuff in the ACC for a long, long time, and I wasn't the only media member. Our our buddy Mark Titus, who we of course we got to to see in person in Minneapolis, he was in on the Virginia stuff all season long. But I mean, I had people coming up to me, and not just at the games, but when we were doing HQ, um, basically saying like, "Thanks for thanks for being behind Virginia uh, all, all the whole way." So to the fans who came up and said, "Hey, hey, it's appreciated," just. Went with the team that I thought was best. So, you know, it's going to be probably someone else next year. Although, Virginia, really, they might have a case for top five, depending on who comes back. But uh, but they were great. Got to interview well, Tony. The,
0: I mean, I've got Virginia number two in the top 25 and one right now. You trying to, you're trying to take my shine right now. Like, what are you doing? Well, like, okay, so I had Michigan State one, yeah. based on Cassius Winston coming back. And right now, as far as we know, all those guys are coming back to Michigan State. I had Michigan two. But now we know that Iggy Brasdakis is is entering the draft and staying in. His plans to stay in, so you, you know, I mean, you lose your leading scorer. That's got to knock you down a little bit. So I knock them out, um, and that moved Virginia up to number two. And that's even if they also, in addition to DeAndre Hunter, lose Ty Jerome. I mean, they still they still bring back in theory, Cal Guy, Diakite. Uh, um, uh, Kia
1: Clark will be back. Uh, Loose Jack Salt.
0: Yeah, I mean they 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 bring back good pieces, you know, from a championship team. Yeah, no. And, uh, and um, you know we don't we don't have to get too much into this, but like I, Virginia could. I think the Las Vegas odds came out today, and Virginia is the favorite to win the national title. Like, that, they, uh... they could win back to back titles. Okay. And let, me, and let me let me make Go this ahead. point real quick. Yeah, because yeah. you said you know, if you need a championship to validate top 10 status as a coach, well, at least now Tony Bennett has it. I think top 10 is way low. I, I was asked today, I did Bill Ryder's show on CBS Sports Radio, and he said, Where is does Tony Bennett rank in terms of basketball, college basketball coaches? And I said, you know, I'll, you know, I, I'll let somebody else rank him, but if you want to make the case that he's the best, it, it's not hard to make the case. And this guy who's won four of the past six ACC regular season titles, and I swear to God, if one of you nerds tweets me and tries to say, hey, but, GP, there's really not any ACC regular season titles, you're a nerd. If you if you are the type of guy who wants to tell somebody who has a job like me that, you know, technically there are no ACC regular season, you're a nerd. Nobody, You're not enlightening anybody. Okay. Nobody thinks you're smart. Nobody thinks you're making a good point. We just think you're a nerd across the board. You're a nerd if you want to point out that there's technically not ACC regular season titles. ACC teams, hang banners for them. There are ACC regular season titles, as far as I and everybody else in the world except you nerds are concerned. And Tony Bennett has four of the past six. If you ask people who's the best coach in college basketball, most people will say Mike Krzyzewski. And that's an obviously reasonable answer as well. Maybe the right one. Mike has zero ACC regular season titles in the past nine years. Tony's got four in the past six he has been a number one seed, I believe, three different times. He's now got a national title, and he might win another one next season. I, I don't know if I would rank Tony number one, but it's it's very reasonable to rank him number one. Trivia time. Okay,
1: okay. What program has the most wins in the past six seasons in college basketball? Gonzaga. <laughs> That's right. How did you know it that fast, though? Because I just Gonzaga wins 30 games every year. That's correct.
0: Who's second? Who is second? I'm a Virginia, I guess. It is not. Okay. I'll,
1: I'll spoil it and tell you. Virginia is fourth. Who do you if think? If you it's... tell me
0: Wofford, I'm hanging up, and then we're done with this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's not. I I would venture to say Wofford's not even cracking the top seventy. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I got I got the I got six seven teams here. So Gonzaga's won with one ninety four. Virginia's at one seventy eight. Who do you think is second? Who do you think is third?
0: <laughs> Past six years? Yeah. I would think Duke's up there somewhere.
1: Duke is fifth
0: at 175. I would think North Carolina's probably up there somewhere. Seventh,
1: 171, and I thought they would be
0: higher. Um, is Wichita State up there somewhere? Not in this list. Okay. Okay. Is I mean am I just missing an obvious one? I,
1: they're all obvious.
0: They're all obvious.
1: You um, need oh two, Kentucky, obviously. Kentucky's third, so you need two and six. Both yes. obvious. What?
0: Um is it Michigan State? No.
1: Parrish, what are you doing right now?
0: I'm just i I'm just really just naming teams.
1: You want the answers?
0: The Mets had two on, two outs, down six yes. degrom DeGom's been terrible. So I was just naming <laughs> teams and trying to see if they could get a hit the
1: that... Oh, it's a new era. The baseball has started and the podcast <laughs> is crossing over. Vanilla Villanova. I almost said Vanilla oh, Nova. Sure, Villanova. Vanilla Nova is second with one ninety one. Kansas one seventy three, my man. Um of course. all right, before we move on, uh I got a I got a prediction question for you, but I also want to Thank Tony Bennett for doing an on-court interview with me for HQ. That was uh, just a personal career milestone highlight. That was awesome because this came after One Shining Moment. came after you to Andy You Ketz. guys
0: have come a long way since he was violently shoving you just a few weeks ago. We,
1: ha- we have indeed come a long way. Um, it was great to talk to his father after the game. Uh, and... Yeah, all this, all this good stuff. Uh, a fun note that I couldn't work into my story: Tony Bennett took his daughter. She's taking senior, like AP Calc or whatever, in high school. He took her homework that she actually has to like hand in, and started diagramming plays on it like the night before or whatever, like that. So that's actually turned into like. So I asked Tony afterward if he used any of the plays that he was using there, like late in the game. Like, did he have the play that they drew up for Hunter on that homework? He couldn't say for sure. I got to follow up with him on that. But if so, that's that becomes like a like a thing that you want to frame in the Virginia offices if it's actually that. Um, But his daughter actually needs to hand in that homework. So uh, a fun little note there. Um, also thanks to Eric Bacher who helped get all that stuff done and then just the people who run the NCAA tournament are awesome, Dave Warlock, Dan Gavitt amongst many others, they do a fantastic job and it's not an easy thing to do because there is so many media members on the ground lots of, lots of boots on the ground there and it's, um, it's always pl- pretty flawless and uh, and by the way I didn't catch this on the, uh, I do have a question for you before we move on, but uh, Bennett apparently asking Nance if he can get around in at Augusta did you hear
0: this? I missed that entirely I did not hear that. We had to go on set as the game was wrapping up, so we we were not I, I think we were live on TV when Tony Bennett was talking to Jim Nance. That's a that's a the heck of a way, flex the, there. The way it works for contractual reasons is that we had to come on the air at eleven PM Central, but we cannot start our actual show and start showing highlights until after one shining moment. Right. Right. And so we and so we're just we're just out there talking. We're just out there feeling time until until one shining moment is over and then we can boom snap your fingers, start the show. So while we're while Nance is talking to Tony, we're on T V just like talking to each other about man, that DeAndre Hunter shot sure was something, wasn't it? You know, we were just we we're just trying to get to the end of one shining moment.
1: Gotcha. All right, here's my question for you. Instead of an over-under, so Tony Bennett, takes him. T- it takes him, what, 12, 13 years to get his first national championship, and winning the title is ex- extremely hard. So, be it he stays in college for 27 more years, or he's there two more years and then goes on to the NBA and does a Brad Stevens and never returns, we don't know, okay? So all possibilities are out there. What is your answer for how many titles Tony Bennett finishes with at the end of his coaching career at the NCAA level?
0: I think he'll finish with two.
1: I agree with you on the money. I think he will get one more.
0: But if you told me, if you told me that Tony Bennett, who is 49 years old right now, coached until he was 70, I mean, again, yeah, which is not an abnormal thing for a great coach in college basketball, if you told me he was going to be in college basketball 21 more years, I would tell you he gets three national, at least three national championships. But I don't think Probably. he's going to. I yeah. think he's going to be an NBA coach at some point.
1: Yeah, that's the big wait and see there, because uh, the style that he runs, what well, he'll ha- he will have to. Uh, uh, you can't. Uh, you, can you can't. Bring, he, he, you can, co-
0: yeah. he coaches in the NBA, but Brad Stevens adjusted. Yeah, and
1: and Tony totally. By the way, Tony, who played in the NBA, can absolutely yeah. adjust. Um, there's no doubt about that. I would expect the tony bennett going to the nba storyline especially after winning a title here it unless he comes out and and publicly says uh, you know I, that is not for me now or in the near future i think that'll just be something that has some scuttlebutt to it going forward but anyway well, I, yeah. but i
0: know two things okay one he is intrigued by the nba uh, you know that that the, the idea that he'd just be like you know i think roy williams might be like i'm, I'm a college coach i'm not going to the NBA. you know i think roy williams might have felt that way forever i don't know but like i think i do think there are some guys who just love college basketball and they would never consider being an nba coach i don't think tony's one of those guys i think i i know he is intrigued by the idea of being an nba coach doesn't mean he's begging to get there or he'll take a bad job but i know that he if the right situation presented itself he would he would be very interested in at least seriously considering it. And I also know this, that NBA teams have reached out to him before. I mean, I, I don't know that this has ever been reported. I know the Grizzlies tried to talk to him a few years ago, mm. and he just he was like, I'm not going to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> but I know they were at least interested in sitting down with him, and I don't believe he ever, he even sat down with them. But uh, I know he's got interest in the NBA, and I know the NBA's got interest in him, and eventually I, I think there'll be a match that makes some sense.
1: All right, so – you want to get to this, the the few uh, non-NCAA tournament items that are worth some discussion here as we uh, put a bow on this season?
0: Yeah, let's try to touch on a uh, couple more things uh, as quickly as we can possibly do it, which might not be that quickly at all. Uh, the biggest other story in the, in, in the sport of college basketball over the past 24, 48 hours is, of course, UCLA hired Mick Cronin. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out.
1: with a dead cell phone think about those adventurous activities you can do like me taking a ski trip up with the family maybe going on a camping expedition anything and everything learn more about the all-new hyundai santa fe at hyundaiusa.com call 562-314-4603 for complete details hey Ion college basketball podcast listeners one of our favorite times of the year is upon us The Masters, a tradition unlike any other. And CBS Sports is where you can get direct streaming access on your phone or computer to live coverage all day for each round of the tournament. The coolest part is you can choose between four different streams, whether you want to watch the featured groups of the day, follow the field as they come through on Amen Corner or Holes 15 and 16, or see top golfers getting ready for their round on the practice range. We've been looking forward to this week since the last Green Jacket was awarded, so you really don't want to miss a second of the action. The best part is that it's entirely free no need to pay a subscription or have an expensive cable package to watch so download the cbs sports app on your phone or visit cbsports.com backslash masters first cut today and while you're there be sure to tune in all week to watch our friend kyle porter on cbs sports hq our free 24-hour sports news network where he'll be reporting live from augusta national all week long
0: so after flirting with john calipari and who knows who else but also Rick Barnes and getting him uh, the pay raise that I assumed he would get. Uh, UCLA finally settled on Mick Cronin on uh, Tuesday, and he has officially been hired as UCLA's coach. Your thoughts, Norlander. Mick Cronin, now working in Westwood. Um,
1: I don't dislike the hire. Uh, I wonder what the contract terms are in turn, like, uh, not the contract terms. I wonder what – because this – I can tell you right now, UCLA had been in contact with Mick Cronin plenty before this happened, okay? Yes, Mick Cronin wasn't the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth choice. That doesn't reflect well on UCLA. There are also instances in the past where guys who weren't the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth choice have gone to school and wound up being successful. Certainly could be the case here – um but the status of the UCLA job and what the school is willing to do and willing to commit to, uh, I think I think will be interesting there. Um I, he leaves Cincinnati having gone to the tournament the past nine years, only one sweet sixteen. I, I, UCLA fans, I, if you are underwhelmed by this, I, I guess I don't blame you, but Cronin has operated at a top 25 level, I would say undeniably over the past seven to nine seasons. And so if you're the UCLA uh, you know, athletic department, athletic director, you need to minimally get a coach at that level. It, it doesn't reflect well when you have these public swing and misses with Calipari and Rick Barnes and Jamie Dixon and the ones behind the scenes like some bigger names uh, – frankly Tony Bennett or you know I even heard that uh, you know UCLA just because you, when you are running a search like this you owe it to yourself you just say Tom Izzo are you willing to leave Michigan State to to come see what uh, you might be able to do out here <laughs> let me stop you there for a second because
0: oh. no you shouldn't ask Tom Izzo if he's willing. okay to leave. it's the dumbest thing in the world to ask Tom Izzo if he's willing to leave Michigan State for UCLA I always hear people every year and I don't mean to interrupt you or yet, it's all, it's but all I'm good gonna, Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do both for a second every year i See, somebody, sometimes they're even our friends, who will tweet something along the lines of, well, you know, you got to at least pick up the phone and call Jay Wright. No, you don't have to pick (laughs) up the phone and call Jay Wright. Why? Jay Jay Wright is icon status at Villanova forever. He's a Philly guy. He is not leaving Villanova for your college job. Michigan Tom Izzo is not leaving Michigan State for your college job. Roy Williams is not leaving North Carolina for your college job. Jim Beheim's not leaving Syracuse for your college job. Mark Few's not leaving Gonzaga for your college job. Mike Shushewski's not leaving Duke for your college job. John Calipari's not leaving Kentucky for your college job. You do not owe it to yourself to pick up the phone because you're wasting your time. You're making yourself look stupid. Oh, man. That's... Like I hope every athletic director in the country can just hear what, just write down what I just said. You so gotta make a phone call, JP. Don't, don't, don't think we we owe it to ourselves to call Tom Izzo. No, you don't. You're an idiot if you call Tom. Oh, I,
1: I actually start. made this very. I made this very argument for UCLA with Tony Bennett. I still think that you have to at least try. I don't. I just think no. It, it was never gonna I, happen. I, but
0: if I didn't put Tony Bennett on the list earlier, I'll add him right now. Tony I Bennett, think. I think adding gym, him now is yeah. Your sorry. quality job. Uh, for, yeah. For your for college sure. job, I mean. Um.
1: So Cronin, we'll see see what happens. Cronin works uh, in some ways like he's anti grad transfer, and um, it's actually worked out well for him at Cincinnati. We'll see if it does at UCLA. UCLA, the the admissions process there is more difficult than a lot of other spots in major conferences. Um, I think he will do well, but, and I would I would say this to to Mick to his face, like I don't know if if UCLA is now going to rise to a certain status or return to a certain status maybe it does and if it does that's that's great for him for for mick personally like this is a huge personal achievement you get to go coach at an all-time blue blood now it's it's obviously it's just been a roller coaster there for uh, going on two decades there's been some really real high highs and some very low lows um but you know UCLA stuff. I know we talked about in the pod. GP wrote a, a really nice column. You should read. Uh, just check his Twitter feed or just Google it. Go on CBS Sports app about the disaster of a UCLA search. The if you're UCLA, it, it's it's two and one. Um, of course, this happens because this is just the institutional issues that are happening at that school. But also, like, you cannot have this if you're UCLA. It, it's it's an embarrassment that it even took this long. Um, and after the Barnes thing, like, fell apart. Uh you were able to salvage yourself with Mick Cronin. And I think that they were they really had to entice Mick. I don't think Mick was like begging to leave because he had a good situation and was due to get uh a pay increase at Cincinnati like in the coming days, okay? So if it wasn't gonna be Cronin, then I think you were in some real trouble there. But he lands there and we have uh we officially have a change over there. And I think every big job is closed for now. We expect LSU we expect LSU will open, and uh, we'll see if anything else opens in the coming weeks.
0: Um. These 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 two things can both be true. UCLA was a disaster running the search. I mean, they could not have been dumber. I mean, like, why are you even talking to Rick Barnes? He's not, at the end of the day, he's not going to pull the trigger on it. Like, here's the thing. You, you're going to get into a, a bidding war with an SEC school? They have all the money in the world. They could pay Rick Barnes whatever and then remind him what it costs to live in L.A. Rick Barnes was not – Rick Barnes is from North Carolina? He wasn't going to move to L.A. Even if he thought, well, maybe I will. No, he wasn't. At the end of the day, Tennessee was going to do what it had to do to keep him. Like, it was such a a page out of the John Calipari playbook, what Rick Barnes just did, that it wouldn't surprise me if John Calipari picked up the phone, because he and Rick are friends, and said, hey, Rick, you want to get an extra million dollars a year out of Tennessee? get your agent on the phone tell them to call UCLA here's the number cuz i've been talking to them for 2 months call them tell them you're they have the agent tell them you're interested and then like have your agent give it to a reporter let him tweet that you're a candidate i can get you an that that'll get you an extra million dollars a year and some more money for your assistance within the next 48 hours all you got to do is do what i just told you that's cuz that's what he did I, I, he was i just i tweeted it on sunday night and i never thought the reporting was bad i believed that he was a real candidate and I believe that UCLA thought they could get him. But it's just like it, – it, it, it's not quite as extreme as John Calipari or Tony Bennett, but like you, you, he was not going to leave Tennessee to go to UCLA. Beyond that, if Rick did at UCLA exactly what he just did at Tennessee, they'd want to fire him. Yeah, Like if, if he had two bad seasons in a row and then had a surprisingly good season but lost in the round of 32 and then had a season in which it was ranked number one in the country, but lost in the Sweet 16, UCLA fans will want to fire him. And they just got to raise it. Tennessee. At Tennessee, they're like, man, Rick Barnes is amazing. We can't afford to lose him. At UCLA, do that exact same thing they want to fire you. So he just wasn't going to leave. I don't know what they were doing. It's just silly. They just embarrassed themselves and wasted another 48 hours and then circled back to where they could have been two weeks ago. Mick, and, and first off, I, I, I think Mick's going to do well there. I, I think they hired a good coach. But – They should have just hired Mick Cronin two weeks ago if they were going to hire Mick Cronin and skipped all this other silliness because what they did with Mick is like Mick was the girl at the bar when you walk in at 9 o'clock. You're like, okay, I can go home with that one. (laughs) Okay. I can go home with that one whenever I want. So before I decide to go home with that one, let me see if I can get this one. Nope. But what about this one? Nope. What about this one? Not interested. What about this one? Won't even look at you. What about this one? Hate your guts. Hate your guts. What about this one? Not a chance. She's still over there. She's still just sitting at the bar by herself waiting. Like, Mick was that. And, I, I like, I like Mick. I, I, I'm not trying to goof on him. But, like, that's what he became in this analogy. And so then they just finally circle back and, like, listen, we got to get a coach. I mean, the, the job opened New Year's Eve. It didn't feel till, till, till April 9th. Absurd. It's absurd. Like, you – and I'm I'm hesitant to call these people who were running this search dumb because they can't be dumb. They're super successful people, and 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 I don't know Wasserman, but I I do know Dan Guerrero. Not dumb. So I'm not like saying oh these idiots. But they they went about this in an idiotic way. I think that's reasonable. Like I I don't think I'm dumb, but have I ever done dumb things? Of course I have. <laughs> as recently as yesterday. Um. So and that, that's what I would say about them. They, they, they're they, not dumb people, but they went about this in an incredibly dumb manner. But um, I still think they got a good coach. They just like went about it all the wrong way. But here's the truth. Somebody asked me earlier today, so how do you think Mick's going to do at UCLA? I said, I think he's going to do well. And then I think he's going to get fired because he won't be good enough for him because nobody's ever good enough for him. Yeah. In five years is Mick Cronin still the coach at UCLA.
1: Uh, I, I'll say yes to five. I would say yes.
0: Here's what happens at UCLA. They assume you should get the best players in the country, have like top five recruiting classes, because maybe you should. I mean, it is UCLA and Southern California. There's plenty of players. They do want to come there. I mean, that is the best thing about the job is you just have access to players who want to be on your campus because I don't know if you've ever been to the UCLA campus, but it is awesome. Like if I were 17, again, could go back oh, to college, yeah. I'd try to go to that place. It's yeah. amazing. Um, so they expect you to get the best players in the country and then they expect you to do what you're supposed to do, or at least what they think you're supposed to do with the best players in the country. And that means sweet 16s are not good enough. And by the way, like that ain't what really what Mick's been doing for the past nine years. Only one sweet 16 in that nine year span. Sweet 16s at UCLA are not good enough. And that's not my opinion. That, that's what I was told when I pointed out that Steve Alford went to three sweet 16s in like five years or whatever it was. UCLA fans told me, GP, that's not good enough. So you just took a job where Sweet 16s aren't good enough. That means Elite Eights is the only way you can keep your job. Final Fours, National, th- good luck. I don't care who you are. That's an incredible part of set. And so I think Mick will do well. Here's what I predict. In five years, you and I will be talking. And you'll say, how hey, do you think Mick's done at UCLA? And I'll say, personally, I think he's been really good. But they're about to fire him. Or they've already fired him. They'll fire. They'll fire guys who do well. Because it's not good enough for them. That's the UCLA job. And I think Mick's smart enough to know that. He got twenty four million dollars no matter what happens. Yep. Um so like he's smart enough to know that. But it's a it's a tough deal. I really do think it's one of the toughest jobs in the country because the expectations are are just, at least in my opinion, a little out of whack.
1: Yep. I agree. Um Real quick, just one other piece of coaching news that happened today as we were traveling. Uh, And it's also a bad look for a university. Was it two days ago? Maybe three days ago? I've lost all track of time uh, that uh, Mike Craig, the new athletic director at St. John's, put out a statement on Twitter that's like, we have our coach and Chris Mullen. There is no... We are not conducting a search. We are happy with our coach. And then, oh, by the way, Chris Mullen resigned. Like, it's a terrible look for St. John's for that to happen. And there was... I mean, uh, c- come on. Uh, on the ground at the Final Four, there were rumors cer- starting to circulate uh, that because Mullen was losing uh, Matt abdel Massey one of his assistants to return to working for Fred Hoiberg, who he did at Iowa State and now will at Nebraska, amid other things and a lot of player departures, that uh, St. John's might have some coaching turnover. Then the AD comes out with a statement, and now Mullen's out. I actually think it's the right move for the program, but I also think the program's a disaster at this point. Um, you're talking about a... a, a a school that does not have as much history uh, behind it as UCLA, but it's St. John's. And there, there certainly is, um, I, as someone who lives in the Northeast, be it the fan base, the general sports populace, uh, people that root for the, the Big East, there, there is an aching for St. John's to just be good, sustained, it's not happening, Mullins out. There, here comes another rebuild. It's going to be a couple of years before this team is even relevant again. Uh, we wait and see on – you're already hearing Rick Patino attached to it. You're hearing because of the Duke ADs – I mean, the St. John's ADs ties to Duke. Maybe Bobby Hurley from Arizona State. I think that might make sense. But um, when I said before that every job had closed, I had forgotten the moment that St. John's actually technically opened on Tuesday. Don't know if you have any quick thoughts on that before we wrap the pod, but I definitely
0: felt that was worth bringing up here in light of Cronin becoming official. I would say this, and and you might have heard otherwise, but I heard this was more Mullen's decision than St. John's decision. Clearly, they were unsatisfied with him. Yeah, and I get why, but I think he knew, like next year is the last year. Like, hey, like, like, I, I, if I have another mediocre or bad year, I'm gone, and I'm probably going to because he just lost his best recruiter, and like, I, why? Why am I doing this?
1: That that's what I was told at least. Yeah, I would like reached, no, I I would I would buy that. I mean, it just it was not the right fit.
0: Uh, it's, I think it I, yeah. I was. I was told that he reached the point where he said, "You know what? I, I this is not. I don't enjoy this. This is not what I." Because the knock on him, and I really don't know Chris at all. I've talked to him a couple of times, but I, I don't know him well enough to, to to label him. But the label he got was that he just didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, he did not put in the work the way you have to put in the work to. Be a successful Big East coach, and if you don't put in the work, what that suggests is you don't love the job. And if you don't love the job, and you are Chris Mullen, who's made a whole lot of money in your life, what why why are you doing it? And I was told that he essentially reached that point. Like this isn't this is not like coincidentally why we've been recording this podcast. Magic Johnson has resigned know, from the I president of basketball. Just, what is happening? I know I just saw that too, GP. And his explanation is. I, I'm a he's basically a billionaire, yeah, or something close to it. If not that, he's like this isn't fun for me. Like I I like being Magic Johnson, where I can like go on a yacht if I want to go on a yacht or just be an ambassador of the sport or just like I don't want to. It's not fun running a basketball team. Like at least it's not fun for me. And I I had more fun when I wasn't the president of the Lakers. I like being the point guard of the Lakers, but I don't like being the president of the Lakers. And I'm just walking away, and on a much lesser level. Um, I, I'm told like Chris kind of got to that point. Like this isn't fun. Being the head coach at St. John's is not what I envisioned. This is not the way I want to spend my days. Cause it is a grind. I mean, these guys are well compensated to do a job, so I don't feel sorry for any of them. But it is a grind. And if you don't love it or need it, it is not a it's not a happy way to live. And I was told that he sort of he sort of got to that point.
1: Yeah, uh, well, we'll say uh, as we as we podcast uh, in the coming week. Uh, um, who fills that? Uh, you know, season is over, but the news cycle is sure to continue with that. And then, obviously, I mean, is so many kids that are going to declare. You can now declare with an agent, and still come back. So the the giraffe stuff, by the way, this has become the postseason to the postseason.
0: Oh, it's just one after another and you know even today was busy you get Gerald, Jared Harper gone for good um Iggy Brasdakis, gone for good and then the big ones and this is the last thing I wanted to touch on okay then we'll get out of here because I'm confident my wife hates me right oh, now oh
1: well, I'm, I'm right there with her she can, yeah this is this is not this is not good for a home
0: life but you know what we gotta we gotta get this pod to the listeners my man can you can yeah? Well, I hope the listeners are going to be willing to have sex with us going forward <laughs> okay. because that's that's where we're going to be. Okay, we're going to be cut off at home. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, we're going to be cut off at home. I'm confident. <laughs> anyway, Ashton Haggins, <laughs> Ashton Haggins, and Trey Jones both announced that they're returning to school. Um, obviously Ashton to Kentucky, Trey Jones to Duke. You're surprised by either of these, both of these. Um, I If you would have asked me a month ago, Trey Jones, I'd say, gone. Yep. Ashton Hagen gone. But they're both back in school, and that's massive for Kentucky and Duke. I've got them both in the top five of the top 25 and one. Yeah, I think. Think
1: I I think I'm with you, GP. Uh, you spent some time doing the top 25 and one. I took a scan through it. I didn't have any major disagreements with you. I think I think I'd have Duke, in Kentucky, top five. Trey Jones was surprising me. I, I thought he was going to go. Uh, the fact that he returns because he's he's not a great perimeter shooter, elite defender, uh, but he's like a solid mid range shooter and get to the lane. I I think that he would have been dra- he would have been drafted if he left, but he returns. That's a great thing for college basketball. Love it. Um, he would I think would have to be. Well, oh, he's a lock for our uh, top 101, top 10. Uh, that's There's no doubt about it. So big for him. And then another great defender in Ashton Higgins. Uh, Big-time stuff there on that end as well. So some good bonuses here for, for College Hoops in that um, the two most popular discussed, uh, polarizing programs in the sport uh, get something outside the norm. They get really talented, high-profile freshmen to come back for a second season. This is, of course, the second season that's happened with Kentucky, and I would say I guess it's not abnormal. I mean, we've seen we've seen this where they've had four stars and certainly five-star guys at UK wind up coming back a second season for one reason or or another. But um, but that's really good, and yeah, the, because of that, um, those teams are just Stone Cold Locks for preseason top ten, and I would not be surprised if just even outside of yours when we get to the AP poll in October and all that stuff, if Blue Devils and Wildcats, as usual, wind up in the top five in the preseason.
0: Uh, By the way, I've I've changed the I I published the top twenty five and one this morning, and I've already changed it two different times today. And I I told our God bless Marcus Nelson. By the way, if he's listening, absolutely, he couldn't possibly have time to listen to sixty minutes of this. Nope, but my man just works nonstop. And he handles the top 25 and one. And I sent it to him late last night. He published it this morning. And then um, I was like, yo, I can't remember what happened, but something happened. I was like, okay, we got to change. Oh, Mick Cronin left Cincinnati. That matters. I was like, okay, I got to drop Cincinnati. So I'm going to drop Cincinnati. I think I added Ohio State, which Ohio State fans, I realized I probably should have had in to begin with. Um, So I add Ohio State. He gets that done. And then Hagen's announces he's coming back. Trey Jones announces he's coming back. Jared Harper announces he's leaving Auburn. So we had more updates to do. He's working on those, I think, like right now. Um, So the top 25 and 1 will be Michigan State 1, Virginia 2, Duke 3, Kentucky 4, Michigan 5, Louisville 6, Marquette 7, Maryland 8, Carolina 9, Kansas 10 when it is updated. But I told him tonight, I was like, how about this? We're not going to update in real time because it will just be exhausting for both of us while these players are making these decisions. Uh, we'll just update every morning as needed until everything settles down because like uh, we updated three times today. That's too much. yeah it, it, it's another reason why I'm like exhausted. so um but th- but those were two big announcements because you just assume that Duke's gonna lose its best players and Kentucky's gonna lose its best players each year. And I guess last year Kentucky got PJ Washington to come back so that was a similarly surprising, but big developments for both of those programs, no question.
1: Yeah. I think that's a that about does it here, my man. Yeah,
0: I think that about does it here. I think we've said everything we need to say. We have. Let's wrap it up. Pro- pro- and in some cases probably more than we needed
1: to say. No, that's why that's why everyone that's why they love it. So um thanks for the feedback. Uh got some feedback on the ground by the way for our live pods. People love that. So when we have the ability to do so, we'll we'll do that in the future. But uh Obviously, season's over. Podcast is not. We'll be uh, delivering episodes to you as news warrants going forward. But, GP, let's go enjoy our families.
0: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to my family. Shouts to Norlander's family. And remember, go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rated favorably. Five stars with nice comments. Actually had uh, a guy, Virginia fan, walk up to me um, in a bar last night, and he was like, Five stars, nice comments. (laughs) I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. So uh, if you have subscribed and you've done five stars and nice comments, thank you. If you haven't, please go do it. It's all I've ever asked from you. So you knock that out, please, and we will be back later on this week. Till then.
1: Uh, Virginia for the championship. I called
0: it. Take care.